Elizabeth, you are a parasailer. <laughs> Your laughter so tells me you know what you did. You know what you did. I'm just kidding. You are a paraglider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to tell me what it's like to launch off of a mountain. Okay. Well, for people who don't know what paragliding is, you are in a harness that is beneath a parachute. It's not the same like round parachute that a lot of people think of. It's kind of like a long, skinny piece of fabric. So I lay my wing out on a mountain and the objective is to get it inflated above my head and then run down the slope of the mountain until I take off and I fly away. What's it feel like? I'm excited because I'm about to start a flight, but honestly, I'm more nervous than anything else when I'm setting up and when I'm launching. Why? So basically the two most dangerous parts of flying are when you're launching and landing. Because of Earth. Because <laughs> those are the times you're closest to the ground. If you are have a lot of height, you're in theory, safe because you have time to fix anything that happens before you're near a surface that you can collide with. This is the craziest part uh, about all of this. One second, you are completely safe. And then the next, you are not safe. You are, in fact, very, very unsafe. And so I don't mean to say that you're a reckless person. I don't think that you are. I just mean that like, you're putting yourself in a position where there's a ton going on. There's all the of this energy and, you know, science forces of nature and just things outside of your control. So how did you get into this? Like, what drew you to this? What hooked you? It just, it seemed fun and it seemed like a really interesting challenge. So do you think that the impossibility of it attracted this to you? What do you mean by impossibility of it? Because I do it. Okay, here's what I mean. So the act of hoisting a wing... Uh, which is essentially just this like giant plastic sandwich bag above your head. <laughs> and then you just, you run at full speed and then you just launch yourself into the air, into this void. This is like, this is superhuman stuff. And I think a lot of outdoor sports are like that, right? You've got Alex Honnold soloing El Cap, people base jumping off of these peaks in the Alps or wherever, or launching huge cliffs on skis or dropping into these just massive waves, right? As an outsider, you say, like, that cannot be possible. And I think maybe that's what attracts people to that. You tell a certain type of person something's not possible, and they get it in their heads that it is. And you just seem like that type of person to me. It's very odd for me to get these compliments from you. So you're actually really yeah. making me nervous. I just want to <laughs> know, like, what, where is yeah. this going? Like, what the hell are we talking about today? Okay, well, that what a what a classy segue <laughs> that you have there, Elizabeth. Thanks. Great You're job. Continuing Thank you the barrage much. of compliments. Here we go. We're talking about stepping up to the most daunting endeavors. About how some of us find that beautiful, impossible challenge, and others have it set in front of them like a giant roadblock. I believe everyone's got their own big wave. That's Bianca Valenti. She's a professional big wave surfer. In fact, she's one of the best surfers in the world. I was speaking with Bianca, and I kept wondering about two things. One, how in the hell someone actually literally surfs 50-foot walls of water. And two, how we conquer what seems to be insurmountable. What do we do when we're called to confront a towering giant that seems too big to tackle, whether that's in the water or out of it? Well... Bianca's got something to say about that. I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them. 
what does it feel like to surf a 30 plus foot wave? Because I would say most of us are never going to come close to anything like that. So tell me what it's like. What does it feel like? So, yeah. So, well, to start, you're probably pretty far out in the ocean because 30-foot waves break in, in a minimum of 30-foot deep water. So, like, you feel really, really small. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you want to, you know, play, be smart and take take smart risks. And, you know, no matter what, though, there just comes a moment where um, you realize you're in the spot for this 30, 40, 50-foot wave, and it's like, it's there and it's in front of you and it's that moment when like your heart jumps out of your chest and and your blood starts really pumping and you know like if you're if you have any doubt whatsoever there's just no chance at all so you just have to fully 1 million percent commit and you spin around and you start sprint paddling as fast as you can and you know all the while trying to stay calm and cool because you want to like successfully ride this huge wave and then so you're sprinting as hard as you can and your your heart's racing and and you catch the wave and actually on a big wave you have to start paddling down a little bit and that's that's like the cliff that's like you know um as you're going up the roller coaster ride like that tick 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 and then boom you catch the wave and it's free fall and you draw your line and you commit and and you just like it's moment to moment the gravity and the change of pressures creates this like backfire from the wave, like a turbo ejection of water and air. And it's committing and believing in, in all the hard work and the training that you do and all the time that you put in um, and just like taking that leap of faith and, and putting the belief in, in what you've done to prepare for that moment. And um, when executed correctly, there's no better feeling. Oh, my God. And yeah, (laughs) it sounds, I mean, it sounds a little terrifying to be. Yeah, well, it is. Bianca grew up in Orange County, California. Most of her earliest childhood memories involve the ocean. When you grow up with some of California's most famous beaches as your childhood stamping grounds, being a beach bum is almost a foregone conclusion. And Bianca has been surfing since she was seven. In Dana Point, there's a little wave called Doheny Beach. It's right next to the harbor and it's like one of the world's best beginner waves it's really small really gentle and friendly and so yeah my mom um saw me standing on my boogie board and she asked me if I wanted to get a surfboard and so um I had I remember I had like a 75 dollar budget and we went looking around to the local surf shops and found a board covered in skull and crossbones that was 75 (laughs) <laughs> and otherwise, we, I couldn't find anything. And um, and I was like, oh, the skull and crossbones are really scary. And they said, oh, come back tomorrow. We'll clean it up. And so we went back the next day to the shop. The board was all shiny with no wax and no skull and crossbones. And then she took me down to Doheny and was just like, don't make me come and rescue you. And that was it. I fell in love with it. Went to surf camp a week later and just always wanted to be at the beach. And... There were no other girls out with me in the water. It was, I do remember one of the first times seeing, uh, finally seeing a local female. She was like in her 20s long border. And Mm. I would just usually have one or two friends who were boys in my class who I would surf with and their dads or their brothers. 
And um, I just kind of tag along to the beach all the time as much as possible. My mom would take me all the time. So she was really, really supporting and encouraging. And then we, we joined like a longboard club where families go and surfing contests up and down the coast. And just, I always enjoyed it. And nice people, nice community, um, and a healthy environment, fun place to be at the beach. It's free, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. If you live near the beach, it's a good, it's a great sport. And and you started, you started competing pretty young, right after you kind of got hooked at seven, right? Mm, yeah, so I started competing young, probably nine, and that really built a great community and I think encouraged just more time in the water. And then I got sponsors and, you know, I always did really, really well in the contest. And, and it was funny because I just remember as a little girl, like flipping through Surfer Magazine and ne- you would never see a picture of another female and then when I was a teenager and I had all these sponsor deals I realized that like the girls who were prettier and more model type athletes than the athletes you know like like I said at the top of the podium were getting better deals that just like pissed me off and then you know surfer magazine still didn't have any pictures of females and I kind of just saw like how um how the scales were tilted, uh, you know, and it, it was, it was, you know, it's like when you have a dream and you're a little kid, it it can be heartbreaking once you figure out it's like kind of not possible. And so did you kind of see a a disconnect between male and female surfers while male surfers were being rewarded for their skills? Female surfers were being rewarded for their looks. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Um, and it made me really, really angry at surfing and just not, mm-hmm. and it made me find um, friends and community in other places. It made, you know, it made me feel I like I stopped looking at any surfing magazines. I stopped watching any videos because I was just like, there's never anybody who I can relate to. And so I'm not, um, it just got boring sort of. And um, yeah. I didn't have the tools or skills or resources to try to change those things that were so upsetting to me at the time. Ultimately, Bianca hung up her board as a teenager and walked away from the sport. She was tired of what she saw as the in-your-face sexism. She was tired of competing. She was just plain burnt out. But then... College happened. UC Santa Barbara is a big party school, and there's all different kinds of people around. And so I had uh, hippie neighbors who were super peace and love and groovy. And one of them started dating this underground legend, and he had this beautiful, he looked like, you know, a mythical creature almost. He had this beautiful, <laughs> long, blonde, curly hair and blue eyes. And he grew up in like Gaviota where there's like seven houses and he is just so nice and loves surfing and has this amazing family and, and, you know, never wears deodorant or anything and stays (laughs) off the grid, you know? And he was like showing me pictures of waves North of Santa Barbara. And he knew I was good at longboarding and invited me to come along. And so I was like, I got to see if, 
you know, this guy really can put his money in his mouth. And he was like, you know, one of the best surfers in the world. And I saw him get this crazy, gigantic, like 30 foot barrel from the beach. I was standing there and I just started jumping up and down. I just felt this like energy and invigoration and inspiration being around waves that big. And that's, that was the moment that really clicked that I was like, Oh, I really want to do this. And then the moment I knew that I was going to commit to actually surfing them was a quasi near death experience. And it was here at Ocean Beach in San Francisco. Yeah, didn't you uh, almost I, didn't you almost drown or something? My friend Parker and I had driven up here from Santa Cruz and the only thing I really knew about Ocean Beach was that the waves are always look bigger than they look and we saw these huge or we didn't know they were big. We thought they were just perfect waves. Mm-hmm. So we paddled out on the wrong equipment on tiny boards. We even saw some other surfers like paddling out on big boards and we're like, oh, those guys don't look like they know what they're doing. And um, we made it out really easily. Like we got incredibly lucky in the timing. And then all of a sudden there was like a 20 foot by 10 foot wide wave about to break you know, five feet right in front of us, which is the worst possible place for the impact oh and power. God. And I looked at him and he said, um, I'll never forget. He said, well, see you on the other side. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like meaning the other side of the uh, wave or like the other side of like I mean, the great, like existential divide. Yeah. Who, who knows what he meant? I think, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I just was like, yeah, at that point it was just like, Tried to duck dive and just got my board ripped out of my hands. I was spinning around every which way like a rag doll. And I opened my eyes and it was like black. And I thought, oh my, like I've never been brutalized like this before in my life. And and if, you know, and I was just, my foot touched the ground. So I knew which way was up and I took about three very slow strokes to the surface because I was so depleted of energy Mm -hmm. already. And I thought, right before the surface, I thought, if there's another wave, I'm just actually going to die. And, but I got up and there was no, no second wave. And I just, I was gasping for air, tingling all over my body, convulsing. And I saw Parker and he was like, I'm going in. And I was like, me too. And, uh, yeah, and then I just stood on the beach looking and going, I want to surf those waves, and I know I can do it, and I, I need the right right equipment and the right preparation, but I'm a, you know, I'm a really good surfer, and I can do it. Okay, time out here. Just one second. How do you have this, like, near-death experience, right? You get rocked by this wave. You're, you're swimming to the surface, and you're like, if there's another one of these suckers, I'm just totally going to die. You somehow make it in to the beach, you turn around after having this near-death experience and you say, man, do I want to get back out there and surf those bad boys? How the hell does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. It's just like they looked so perfect and and nobody was out. And I knew, I knew like that it's possible and that I just had, like I said, I didn't have the right equipment. I didn't have the right training and preparation. So right. I wasn't really... What stood out to me wasn't the fact that I almost died. What stood out to me was that, like, I could get, I could successfully surf these waves. I knew I could do it. I was like, they excited me and they, they, yeah, they 
they inspired me. Bianca's focus turned to learning to surf big waves. After graduation, she moved to Mexico to work at a surf camp. And when she wasn't passing on the passion, she was at a famous big wave surf break called Pascuales. That's where she cut her teeth. She got tips from locals and friends, but mainly she just got worked in huge surf. But after months at it, Bianca learned how to actually ride big waves rather than survive watery near-death experiences. Bianca then moved back to San Francisco, and that's when she got the itch to compete again. So I went to this one-star event at Pipeline, and it was my first contest since 2006, and that was in 2012, and I actually ended up winning. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I beat, like, all of these pros from the time, like Kelly Kennelly and Melanie Bartels and Megan Abubo, and, like, that that really fired me up. Um, And then in 2014, I got invited to surf in the first... um, full heat of a women's big wave surf event at, at, um, well, it was a big wave world tour event. There's a men's division and a women's division at Nelscott Reef in Oregon, and that was in 2014, and I ended up winning that too. And that's when I got really fired up. After the break, Bianca sets her sights on conquering the biggest wave of her life. By 2014, Bianca was fully committed to a professional surf career. And she was quickly establishing herself as one of the best surfers in the world on and off the contest circuit. She won a pipeline, one of surfing's most famous breaks and where a handful of the sport's most prodigious contests are held. And then she won the first ever women's big wave event in Oregon. She did all this without any major sponsors. That's like an undrafted free agent winning Rookie of the Year. And the surfing community was really in awe of the fact that Bianca was a regular among the surfers at Mavericks. That's a famous big wave surf break that's just north of Half Moon Bay. Mavericks typically has waves that top out at 30 feet, sometimes 60. Just take a second to realize how huge that is. But as much as she loved Mavericks... Bianca wanted more than to glide on gigantic walls of water. In 2014, I w- when I won the Nell Scott Reef event, then um, I w- at the time I was a subject in a documentary film called It Ain't Pretty, and the uh, director of that film, De La Soul, she, she was really encouraging me to get a women's division at every stop on the men's tour. De La Soul's encouragement lit a fire under Bianca to tackle surfing sexist culture. Remember, she constantly ran into this after first being exposed to it as a child. And now, back on the competition circuit as an adult, guess what? It was still happening. Bianca set her sights on getting women included in a big wave event at Mavericks. Conditions permitting, a competition has been held there yearly since 1999. It was nicknamed Men Who Ride Mountains, and... It was closed to women. Bianca says Mavericks organizers told her, yeah, sure, women sounds great. We'll work on that. But nothing ever happened. I still remember, like, that's the same thing that really upset me and broke my heart when I was a teenager was just that it was, it was not just in big waves that there was a lack of equity. It was in, you know, sh- small waves, any size right. waves. It was, 
in the media. And so... So not just competition, but kind of pervasive in surf culture as well. Yeah, exactly. There was tons of resistance like, oh, you guys aren't good enough. Mm-hmm. There's, um, it's too dangerous. Um, <laughs> there's not enough of you. Yeah, and so then we'd be like, okay, well, here's these videos of us in these pictures. And there's like, they're not as, there's not enough of you. There's not enough time in the day. So they just come back with a million reasons of basically like why or oh this was my favorite one um if women want to surf in the event they should compete against the men and if you don't believe that women can compete against the men or they aren't good enough then you don't really believe in women in california there's this thing called the coastal doctrine It says that the state's coastline is held in trust for public use. Meaning the entire coast of California is open to everyone, all the time, year long, forever and ever. Amen. So the World Surf League, or WSL, it's the governing body in surfing. If they put on an event at Mavericks and closed access to the beach, even for just a few hours, and then said no to the women, they'd be in violation of the coastal doctrine. Enter activists and San Mateo County Harbor Commissioner Sabrina Brennan. I think of her as like something of like a modern day saint when it comes to like equality. And she was like, hey, you know, this coastal doctrine provides equal access to the coastline. And on the day of the Mavericks event, the coastline gets shut down. And if there's only all men in every event, then that's like that's an exclusion of women. And she brought that to the Coastal Commission and they said to the event organizers at the time, like, hey, we want a plan from you for the inclusion of women. And that basically was the beginning of the, you know, the fight. So basically, when this all started happening, I went to my three best friends, who are the other three best big wave surfers in the world, Paige Alms, Kayla Kennelly, Andrea Moeller, and we, I don't know, like another angel was sent to us, which is our attorney, Karen Tynan, and so the six of us, Sabrina, the athletes, and our attorney, we created the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing, and we really focused just on Mavericks and on getting access to Mavericks and what it would look like to compete at Mavericks, since Mavericks is a public resource, you know, in the state of California. So we started working on the policy side of how the the permitting works. Basically, the Mavericks comp was in violation of the Coastal Doctrine, and in the eyes of Johnny Law, that's a no-no. In November 2015, Bianca and the rest of the Committee for Equity and Women's Surfing leveraged that. They raised the issue with the California Coastal Commission. That's the group that grants the Mavericks permit. And blammo. The commission said that if the WSL wanted a permit, they would have to include a women's heat. So the WSL officially included women at Mavericks. Booyah! Place applause here. So while all of this was happening, Bianca was still competing and winning. In June 2018, she became the first women's big wave champion in Latin America at the Puerto Escondido Cup. That is awesome. Well, not entirely. The WSL paid Bianca less than $2,000, while the male champion took home $7,000. Yeah. Can we just acknowledge here that this is 2000 fucking 18? Yeah. This shit is still happening. Yeah. I mean, how? Yeah. Okay, stop saying yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I got swept up with you and I went full flavor flave. But seriously, 
is because sexism is a giant monster and it's going to take all of us to kill it. Agreed. But back to leveraging Mavericks. Yes. In summer 2018, Bianca was part of a committee that sent a letter to the California Coastal Commission. In it, they outlined the WSL's history of gender discrimination. And they also met with the WSL and presented a proposal for equal pay at Mavericks. Once the California State Lands Commission, another group that needs to approve the Mavericks permit, got wind of all this, they told the WSL, equal pay or no permit, bro. And it worked. I think we need more applause here. But wait, there's more. On September 5th, 2018, the WSL announced something huge. Once we got the state lands to back us, you know, WSL didn't really have a choice at Mavericks. If they wanted that permit, they had to pay equally. And they had already invested a lot of time and money into getting the rights to just to host this event. And so, so happy that, you know, they moved, made a big, huge move to pay everybody equally. And I feel really proud of our work. I think getting equal pay at Mavericks, you know, was the tipping point that inspired WSL to make the incredible decision to have pay equity throughout the entire organization beginning in 2019. This is a huge piece of the puzzle in getting towards equality in surfing. And, you know, for somebody like me, I I guess what really excites me the most is when the resources become equal, the potential of the performance. This is awesome. First, Bianca confronts the big wave of actually surfing building-sized water dragons. And then she takes on the misogyny and sexism in the surf industry and the culture. Bianca says she always felt called to face her big waves. She had to do it. But it has never been easy. When you were tackling Mavericks, when you were forming the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing and going after the WSL to to get equal pay, did you feel personal and professional risk? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a moment that really stands out to me, and it was at the end of the day at a Coastal Commission hearing. It was like an eight-hour meeting all day in this auditorium in Half Moon Bay. And um, after the Coastal Commission voted unanimously with what the Committee for Equity and Women's Surfing was requesting, which was the single-year permit, they dropped the last name of the last athlete in the women's division. And it was not me. <laughs> and I was like the most qualified at Mavericks, according to the criteria, right? And And so that really had like a the sensation of like being punched in the gut. Uh, you uh, know, they were just punishing me for being the one who stuck my neck out the most. So, um I remember just driving home in the car and crying and feeling so bad and just felt crappy. Um and the next morning the the president of the Coastal Commission texted me And he said, sometimes as a leader, we have to take a step back to move the team forward. Mm. And I'm so proud of the work you're doing and like keep it up. And that really stuck with me at that moment. That was the moment that I knew that like I didn't actually, I wasn't doing this for myself. I was doing this for the future generations and um, for the big picture. So that moment really, really, 
consistently reminded me to stay focused on the big picture and that hopefully I can get to enjoy some of the changes that we've helped create. But if I don't, that's okay too, because we're doing the right thing for the future. Do you think if it's, if it's possible for a woman to gain equality in surfing, do you think it's possible then to gain equality in everyday life? Yes. That, so what I'm really excited for is there's a few things that at the top of my mind is like take using the template that we made in surfing and with the state and applying that to other sports that use public resources and potentially other sports that use private resources too um, because taxpayers help pay for private resources like coliseums or football fields or stadiums. So Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful for that. And then I think that the byproduct will be incredible athletic performance and amazing, exciting new performances from women. And I mean, you know, anything's possible. Once women have equal resources, maybe they will surf, we will surf better than men. Who knows? It might take a hundred years, but um, so yeah, I'm just excited of human potential excites me. It seems that the the WSL announcement seems to be interesting to me with the timing you know, women's issues right now are, are front and center between uh, Christine Bailey Ford or equal pay issues happening in, in corporations all over the U.S., the reckoning of uh, the Me Too movement. Do you think that along with what's happening in surfing and all these other women's issues, is there cause for hope right now? Yes. This in our is society? like so awesome right now. I think there's so much inspiration for athletes to use their voice to create change. Um, I mean, look at what Kaepernick's doing and um, Serena Williams, you know, Billie Jean King, who's really started this movement, but with social media and the internet, it's a, it's a, these are really, really powerful tools to unite globally and create changes that we want to see. And, you know, on behalf of the environment, that's really important to all surfers and skiers. You know, anybody who does an outdoor sport, it's like we need to to use our voices and to be active and be involved. Otherwise, we're going to destroy the things that we love the most. Um, and also, we need equality, too. So I think, like, once the equality comes, we're also going to make more success in those movements as well. So how do we come to grips with our own big wave? Well, <laughs> that's really up to you. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any one formula, but I will say that, yeah, I think it's find, find whatever you're passionate about, find whatever scares you, and, like, start chipping away at it. And if you're not passionate about something, support people who are. How do we decide what's logical or worth tackling? Like, how do we set our sights on our own big wave? You know, I break it down into tiny little pieces. That's what I think has been really a key to success for me in in, in conquering my big waves is breaking down. You know, sometimes the world seems like such a huge place and, and you want to do so much and you don't know where to begin and you just have to slow down, figure out what it is you really want to do, and then find ways to do it in in small, achievable ways and congratulate yourself and cheer yourself on. I mean, like, that's really what it, it really comes down to self-belief. 
than surrounding yourself with others who believe in you and um, making choices that support your long-term goals. Do you think it's possible to triumph over all big waves? I think anything's possible. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Anything's possible. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was Bianca Valenti. To learn more about what she's doing and what the Committee for Equity and Women's Surfing is doing, go to surfequity.org. If you like today's show, please spread the word. Safety Third is like eating a loose mustache fur. And you know, 10 out of 9 doctors agree that it is very, very good for your well-being. That's just good science right there, friends. Tell your buds, your family, your weird neighbors, tell your entire community about the show. You can find us on Instagram at safetythird underscore podcast and on the interwebs.net at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Alex Park edited this episode. Additional production help from Andrew Stelzer. Music by my brother, yes, my older yet smaller brother, Brendan. I smell like old kimchi O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Okie dokie, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, safety third. <laughs> <laughs>